0: is as important as a woman who has an inconvenient pregnancy. As the people of God, I believe we have become numb, myself included, to the unceasing march of our society toward destruction. As a nation, we have best, at best forgotten the God of the universe, and at worst, we deny His very existence. The wicked mockingly say, where is your God? As they gleefully take the life of the next child. They arrogantly put our entire nation squarely in line for God's judgment and without any sign of remorse. Their plan is the same murderous mania that they practiced yesterday. That is their plan for tomorrow. The feeble minds of men, both the righteous and the unrighteous, confuse God's long-suffering with indifference or His non-existence. And our text today clearly states in verse 8, Understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? The unrighteous are senseless fools. Wisdom eludes them because they seek wisdom not from the all-knowing, all-wise God, but from their own sinful passions. Brethren, this is the very definition of foolishness, to seek something where it cannot be found. Today's message is to call us to remembrance. First, I want us to remember that a genocide continues. I've already made that point. I could belabor the point by rehearsing the numbers of dead, the length of time this genesis has taken place, or the horrors of how children are murdered in the womb. Some of that I have already done. But what is more important to bring to your remembrance is that for even one child to lose its life without cause, just one, and justice not be meted out on the perpetrators, That is sufficient to invite God's avenging wrath on our society. Just one. And this brings me to the second thing that I think we need to bring to remembrance. And it's contained throughout this psalm, but primarily in the first three verses O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked? How long will the wicked triumph? Clearly the attribute of vengeance belongs wholly and distinctly to God. And the apostle Paul wrote these very words in Romans 12:19. "Vengeance is mine, I will repay," says the Lord. This statement is reiterated in Hebrews 10.30 and is a quotation from Deuteronomy 32.35. When justice is meted out, it is always by the hand of God. And in that same chapter in Deuteronomy 32, we read in verse 43, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people, for He will avenge the blood of His servants, and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. In the present circumstance, no one can account for the numbers killed or the persons who conspired to kill those helpless children. The numbers are beyond comprehension. How many mothers, fathers, doctors, nurses, Grandparents, clinic administrators, civil magistrates, and others. How many have conspired to perpetuate this genocide? Could anyone hope to count those countless millions? Those who are culpable for God's judgment. Could anyone count those millions? The answer is yes. There is one who has counted those seemingly countless millions and is still counting. His name is Yahweh. And as we have just read, he is the God of vengeance. He tells us, remember you sons of Jacob. Yes, that is all those who put their trust in Christ. We are sons of Jacob, daughters of Jacob. Remember the words of Malachi, the prophet. Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. When wrath comes to the wicked, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. God, the avenger of the innocent, does not change. He is still the avenger of the innocent. And he shall mete out judgment on those who despise the fruit of the womb. He shall not turn aside with indifference. He shall tabulate the sins, and in due time shall render vengeance on his adversaries. But he does give a promise to the sons of Jacob. I'll come to that promise in a few moments. But this brings me to a third item I want us to remember. Remember. We must also remember that God works out his mighty purposes all in due time. We as a people must never forget that God's timing is impeccable. It is always perfect. He is never late in providing the proper blessing that is needed, nor is he late in meeting out his vengeance. Consider and bring to remembrance God's timing in Genesis 15 when He makes His covenant with Abraham.
1: Embedded in that account is an accounting by God of the iniquities of the Amorites as God prophesied the captivity of His people Israel. In verses 12-16 through 16 we read, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as far as you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age." But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. And then God says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God has told Abraham that his people will suffer captivity for 400 years, and in the fourth generation, they shall return to the land after the iniquity of the Amorites is complete. Ask yourselves, is God keeping an accounting? Is God keeping an accounting? The God of vengeance who counts the the hairs on our heads, who notices every sparrow that falls from the sky, who numbers the days of man and keeps account of the iniquity of the Amorites, the God who does not change, surely that God will avenge the lives of those children whose lives have been taken in abortion for no just cause. We should rest in the fact that God is omniscient and knows on whom His vengeance should fall. Not only is He omniscient, all-knowing, He too is omnipotent, all-powerful, and thus His powerful actions will exact vengeance. And this brings me to the last thing that I think we need to remember. Not only is our God a consuming fire, as the writer of Hebrews reminds us in chapter 12, verse 29, our God, the Bible says, is mighty to save, as we read in Isaiah 63, verse 1. We have to remember this as well. Our passage clearly states that the mighty hand of vengeance is also the hand of mercy. Read with me verses 14, 17, 18, and 19. For the Lord will not cast off His people, nor will He forsake His inheritance, Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would have settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, Your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, Your comforts delight my soul. Our survival in the midst of God's vengeance depends solely on the God of mercy. What shall be... what shall be our lot when wrath is poured out on his enemies? Will deliverance be for those who trust in him? The answer is yes. Just as in the days of Noah, judgment on the wicked was the very means of deliverance for Noah and his family. It was deliverance because they acted on the Word of God and entered the ark when water was poured out on the earth such that it consumed all those who were outside the ark, that very same water was the cleansing effect for the earth that Noah and his family might re-inhabit it. And embedded between verses, the verses I read in our passage, verses 14, 17, 18, and 19, are two verses that I want to bring your attention to. Verses 15 and 16. But judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Here we see that judgment will return to righteousness. Righteousness. God's vengeance has a cleansing effect that we often forget. It had a cleansing effect in our Savior Jesus Christ when His full vengeance was poured out on our Savior. And who's the beneficiary of God's judgment there? Are we not all the beneficiaries of that judgment? Just as in the days of Noah, the whole earth was washed clean in the flood, and when God pours out His vengeance, righteousness, righteousness is the result. When God's wrath is meted out, the Bible describes, describes it as launderer's soap. You know what that's like, right? Lava soap. It's full of Grit. Sand. Try rubbing that on your skin a little bit. It takes the skin away. It's so harsh. Wanderer soap. That's the way God describes His vengeance. It's a refining fire. It's in a, it's a crucible. When you stick the metal in there and heat it up, what happens? That, that ore becomes purified. The dross is melted away and the purity of that ore shines forth when it's taken out of the crucible, the refiner's fire. Both of these descriptions describe the cleansing effect of God's judgment. We should indeed fear God's judgment, but the righteous man looks upon God's judgment with hopeful expectation. The effect of judgment will bring cleansing. And this is the, I think this is the presupposition of the psalmist in those first three verses. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? And God tells us in that same passage that his judgment brings forth righteousness. These are the acts of God. But the psalmist poses a question that God has for mankind in verse 14 Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? That's a clarion call to us. Who will come? Who will who will speak against this wickedness? Who will rise up against the evildoers? Now, our initial response might be that we should rise up in our own might, that we maybe should take up arms or something of that nature. I believe, however, the proper response is to speak truth into the circumstance. And I would use the very next verse, verse 17, as my argument. Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. What was Noah's response to the coming vengeance of God on the whole world? to trust in the Word of God, build the ark, and preach to those whose judgment was sure. For a hundred years, he preached the Gospel to people who never heard it and who would die in their wickedness. For a hundred years. Jeremiah had a similar circumstance. Throughout his life as a prophet of God, he preached against Wickedness and never had a single convert. And yet, God had them do that mighty work of speaking the truth into their circumstance. And unless the Lord is our help in this circumstance, I fear that we'll all be too silent in the genocide. We need to trust God To speak truth into the circumstance. Brethren, as in the days of Noah, silence is not an option. For a hundred years, Noah preached the coming judgment of the God of vengeance. We must be as forthright as Noah. We cannot be silent. God will punish the wicked and put an end to this genocide one day, and we must be the voices of warning calling men and women to repentance. It reminds me of the, uh, the society um, in which Christ came, which John the Baptist came, the polite society that had a circumstance that allowed for sin in the camp to be tolerated without a strong word, a word of warning, a word of condemnation. And when those men preached that word of condemnation, John the Baptist lost his head over it and Christ died on the cross for it. It may cost us greatly individually, but look what they produced for their sacrifice. We cannot be silent. God will punish the wicked and put an end to this genocide. And we must be the voices of warning, calling men and women to repentance. It's not polite to be silent in the midst of murder. That's not polite. We must be heralds. Heralds in this situation. Silence for the believer is not an option. It is only an evidence of unbelief, that God cannot or will not take vengeance upon a people. We must be the herald of the nearness of God as Noah was for a hundred years. God is near and He will bring rain and will flood this world and kill everything on it. Except for those who repent and seek refuge in the ark of God. And where is that refuge? In Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the ark of refuge. So we must be the heralds of the nearness of God's vengeance and the nearness of God's mercy to our unbelieving nation. Both are contained in our passage. God's vengeance and God's mercy are both there. One does not exist without the other. Mercy does not exist unless there is a God of vengeance who exacts exacts punishment on sin. That makes mercy meaningful. The withholding of punishment. When we repent and turn to God by faith, declaring that we are sinners, when we own the sin that we sin, and say to God, forgive me, forgive me, for I've offended you. Then mercy makes sense. But if we double down on our sins, sin is a spiraling downward in life whose end is death. And abortion is probably the greatest evidence of that. Sin brings death to those who are most helpless in abortion. And that's what our society needs to turn from and to turn to God by faith. Brethren, I encourage you, when this subject comes up, don't be silent. Be a herald of truth. And should you be in a situation where it doesn't come up, And it's appropriate to speak to to that truth. Be courageous. Be courageous. Confront your friends and your neighbors, your co-workers. For those who are righteous, encourage them to speak up as well. But most importantly, where should our speech go to each and every day? The God of vengeance in prayer. Prayer. Asking him to cleanse us from our sins. And he will mete it out with equity. Let us pray together.